This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. For this segment is John Storr. He's the editor and publisher of the Editorial Board, a newsletter about politics. Uh, John Storr, it's a real pleasure to have you here with us this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Your article was riveting, and the art, the, the title alone uh, is enough to give us pause. But uh, in this article, uh, you said we should see these massacres less as acts of senseless violence and more as acts of political violence. It doesn't matter whether the shooter is conscious of the forces working on him. Uh, what matters is that violence is the logical end of right wing politics. And I was like, damn, I need that on a t-shirt and a bumper sticker mm-hmm. uh, it's a very powerful claim what causes you to make that claim how do you justify such a statement <laughs> you're not the first to ask me that question um the i i think basically i i my take is that i live in this world you live in this world all the shooters that we've witnessed uh, they all live in this world too and uh, my theory is that um, that that right-wing Americans, Americans who believe this is a white country, were betrayed by democracy in 2008 mm. when Barack Obama was elected. Um, they were they felt betrayed because for most of our history, the law really meant white power. Mm. Um, for most of our history, law enforcement really meant the enforcement of white power, right? And then but come, here comes this black man who becomes president, the chief, chief executive, the prosecutor of the law. And suddenly, um, the people who really understood how politics worked in this country uh, saw a world that was upside down. Um, and that and, and perverted as a result. Um, and so, and by the way, I think this is why uh, the right wing does not trust any institutions anymore because mm. democracy betrayed them and they just won't go back until democracy can be restored as in only uh, white people being the majority and, and the majority getting what it, what it wants, which is white power. So that's, you know, I live in history, you live in history, and the present is a product of the past. Mm. Um, and so that that's, that's how I come up with came up with my theory. And it was and I try to find ways, by the way, of, of uh, simplifying things such that I can reach what I call normal people, which is, uh, <laughs> which is not you and me, we don't qualify, uh, because we pay attention to politics. Uh, people who do not pay attention to politics, to the degree we do are normal people, Mm. you know, because they have kids and jobs and things like that. I just want to be clear because the audience won't see this video until a few days from now. But as I look at you on the screen, you present as a white man. I don't know how you identify, but the world that I live in would identify you as someone who is white, uh, which to me, mm-hmm. as a product of history, says that you, John Storr, you have access to the, the privilege, to the power, to the resources mm-hmm. that that view of the world, uh, that pro-white view of the world would afford to you if you wanted to take advantage mm-hmm. of it. 
How is it that you came to be someone who was able to not just make these assessments, but to then take the step of committing through your writing? Because this ain't y'all. Y'all need to visit this man's website. This is not the only article he has that's taking on these issues. Uh, but how is it that you came to a point where you were willing to call what some would consider, uh, would be willing to do what some would consider race suicide by speaking <laughs> this openly about the realities of white supremacy or white savagery? I, I, you, you should be benefiting from this system. John, why is it that you're doing this? How are you exposing uh, what could be a king's ransom to the world. <laughs> I have asked myself why I work so hard with uh, my writing and try to try telling the truth when I could just lie and make a lot of money. Mm. Um, um, but I think, you know, um, to be very brief, I grew up believing that every person was a ch child of God and um, we're all created equal in his, or well, I don't believe his anymore, but in, in the maker's uh, view. And um, <clears throat> I really believe, I believe the Sermon on the Mount, which is that mm -hmm. everyone should be concerned about doing unto others as they would want to be done unto them. And um, that's equality, basically, that's it. That's, that's what equality is. And when the law uh, does not treat people equal, that is a moral outrage as well as a wow. legal or constitutional outrage. So I, I bring a, a, a you know, I, I pr present my arguments in um, uh, a moral, I swaddle them in morality, I suppose, and I just believe it's the right thing to do. Also, you know, you know, I'm not in any danger. I mean, I, mm. I really don't think I'm in any danger, though I have gotten hate mail and plenty of that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I live in this country. Come on. I mean, this is, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I recently had the opportunity to engage on a completely unrelated topic with uh, an ally uh, who is a white woman. And there was a, a an entity that is a, a, a revered entity within the community that has been doing some bad things. Uh, and I'm not in a position to be able to speak about this particular entity because it would create some inability for me to do other justice work. But this white woman definitely is in a position. And she, like you, is sort of using her privilege to be able to speak truth to power in this way out of a recognition that because she has this privilege she is protected um, and can engage in these topics in a way that perhaps even someone like myself cannot so I, I appreciate that there is a, what is at least for me becoming a, a growing awareness that there are people like you uh, who exist in the world who are trying to do this work um, rooted in a sense of morality and you actually believe the words um, that you were taught about that sermon uh, but you you mentioned in this article Ted Cruz. You, you talk about Ted Cruz a lot. And I don't think for people who are outside of the state of, the, of Texas that we're as clear about the role Ted Cruz plays as it pertains to a protector, being a protector for the gun lobby. Can you unpack that a bit for the audience, just so we're clear about how this senator, who is the senator of the state where the Uvalde massacre took place, uh, what role does he play in protecting the ability for another mass shooting to happen? Uh, well, we, we risk respecting Ted Cruz just by talking about him. Um, so <laughs> I suppose we forgive yeah, we us, God. To. We know not what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Ted Cruz is the United States Senator, one of the United States senators from Texas. And he, I, I use him as a foil. He seems to be the, of all the senators, um, the Republican senators, he kind of is the voice of gun rights. Mm. Um, and um, I think I bring him up because I think Cruz understands perfectly what guns mean um, and what the law means. Um, 
and to to have a gun is to have the law in your hand mm. you have the authority you have the authority of history you have the authority of our culture um this does not apply to somebody like you right but it, it does apply to somebody like me and um the law society culture history are all on my side if i happen to shoot someone at a gas station for playing loud hip-hop right mm. um and he knows that. That's why. That's why I bring it up. And, and I think what uh, white liberals do not understand is that right wingers like Ted Cruz understand politics perfectly well. They understand that it's about power. This is war. Mm. This is not. Uh, if you're approaching Ted Cruz from the standpoint of liberal virtue, you are losing. You have to. Mm. Have, it has to be liberal politics. Now, your politics can be informed by virtue, obviously, but you you can't just. Uh, sit there and be outraged that he's a hypocrite because then he wins wow right um yeah you, you can, and, and liberals tend to get hung up on hypocrisy quite a bit um and uh it, you know for instance mitch mcconnell saying that uh congress the the house should pass a, a bill protecting uh, supreme court justices when he's when he says nothing about protecting children right yeah that's hypocritical but he's actually telling us ex who he is Mm. He's saying we ought to protect Supreme Court justices and, you know, kids that are on their own. We the, don't care. There's that quote that says when people tell you who they are, we should believe them. But I think to your point on the not and the liberal side of the house, we often spend that time knowing who people are and then trying to convince them that how bad they are is uh, as opposed to just saying, OK, now this is what it is. You have been very clear and consistent. You have been consistent yeah. on this position. Uh, and you actually say that that's one of the reasons that we often lose the debate on gun control. You said after uh, Sandy Hook, the Republicans just went whole hog basically they said you need more guns and they have been consistent on that point and the idea that we would talk about hypocrisy is basically according to your article giving seeding ground to them and allowing them to win the conversation every single time because it becomes a right against right my right to the second amendment versus your right to whatever life or, you know whatever it is there's no constitutional right for you to go grocery store shopping there's no constitutional right for you to be uh, in a school so my right which is enshrined in the constitution trumps whatever God, I hate that phrase, but is more important than whatever right uh, you would be in favor of. And you actually say instead of giving into that losing argument every single time that we should switch the terms of the discussion. What should we be advocating? How should liberals or people who disagree with that perspective uh, be advocating and fighting this battle of words and, and policy in a way that would actually move the needle and keep most of us a bit safer? Yeah, you always just have to remember democracy, you know, and the, and the white power reactions to democracy and that those white power reactions to democracy are explicit in our history. You don't have mm. to go very far back to see, well, yesterday would be how far back you have to go. So, um, so, you know, what, what kind of nation do we want to be? What kind of society do we want to be? What moral underpinnings do we want to elevate? What sadistic underpinnings do we want to suppress? Um, and it's from that position that you should be talking about uh, gun control. If you're talking about the Second Amendment, you lose mm. because you're actually conceding uh, a noble purpose to these gun owners. Wow. Uh, gun owners don't have a noble purpose. They want to have guns mm. and they have their reasons for wanting to have guns. And, you know, really, if you get down to it, you really should be talking about, well, why do you need to have a gun? 
It's not because of the Second Amendment. I don't buy that. It's not because you're 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 uh, worried about self-defense. You're a white man. You don't probably don't. Wow. You could probably walk into a battlefield and the bullets would bounce off of you. Oh my God! You know, so you want to have a gun for what reason? You know, you probably want to have a gun because you believe that it gives you power, that you can scare people, you can intimidate people. And do we want to have that kind of thing in a democracy? No, you don't. Mm. And that's I think that's where we should be coming from. <laughs> And we can point to our neighbors in the north who have decided they do not want to be become the 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 hole that we have become as a nation. Uh, and they decided after seeing what was happening down south, <laughs> you caught that. Uh, they decided that they were just going to ban uh, the sale of these types of weapons because they believe in having a free society. And when you don't have people who have access to these types of weapons, you don't have a need for defending from these types of weapons. So it makes perfect sense, and it seems very very logical. Uh, and so the idea that we should, instead of saying, you know, it's the Second Amendment and then interrogating what does it mean to be a well-regulated militia and sort of getting trapped up in the minutia of that debate, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying we can skip past all of that. That's a, that's a constitutional argument. We can have both sides of that debate, but that is not a winning debate. The winning argument is we want to be able to go grocery store shopping without being killed. We want to be able to send our kids to school and know that we yeah. will be able to identify them by their beautiful cheeks as they come home and hug us and not by the sneakers uh, that were their trademark wear. And that matters to us more than any other right that you may be able to point to. And so we are going to orient ourselves towards that. Is that a winning argument for Democrats? I, I hope so. <laughs> um, Otherwise, we all got to move, John. You might be the only safe so, one here. <laughs> well, I will say I live in New Haven, Connecticut, and mm. Sandy Hook is down the road from me. Wow. And we have not had a mass shooting since 2012. And yet we have gun openers. We have laws that allow you to conceal carry. Uh, I think there's one law about open carry. I don't remember. But you know, gun people are still able to exercise their Second Amendment rights, even in the state of Connecticut. Hmm. And yet, we haven't had a mass shooting in ten, uh, almost ten years. Knock on wood. The, I think, yeah, I think you, you, you have to. We liberals have to be moral scolds. You know, we we have to be small R Republicans. We cannot trust pe d small R Democrats to do the right thing. Democracy is dangerous. Hmm. We have, you know, lots of uninformed people who make gigantic decisions <laughs> like voting, and we have to make sure that we, the, that we are browbeating people morally, like you need to do the right thing. You can't just say you rest on the Constitution. The Constitution is not a moral document. It's a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a constitution. That's all that it is. And it's certainly not, not handed down by a God, like some people seem to believe. Mm. So, if, you know, the, I think liberals need to encourage other liberals, and, I, and I'm speaking really to white liberals as a white liberal, uh, to start see, seeing past the hypocrisy stop getting all your thrills by pointing out hypocrisy that's just it's not about you mm. let's move on to what they're really saying which is that we have the guns and you don't and what they're also saying is that with enough guns we can terrorize enough people and we can terrorize enough white liberals frankly to be so scared 
Mm. They will turn to the party of, quote unquote, law and order to protect them. Wow. And uh, of course, this is not the party of law and order we're talking about. This is the party of chaos and anarchy mm. uh, who, that claims to be the party of law and order. Why? Because once you get scared enough, you might turn to the people with the most guns to protect you. Right. Wow. And so that's I mean, if we were in a different setting, you know, like uh, Nazi Germany, we would understand this perfectly well. Mm. You know, that the, that these leaders terrify people, they use their power to terrorize and destabilize, and then the same people who are terrorized and destabilized turn to them and say, save us. Mm. And then you just, the cycle repeats itself. So that we have a party that's doing that to us right now. That's, that's what, when people say gaslighting, just think of it on an industrial scale. Wow. So we have just a moment or two left. And I, the title of your article, I think I want to unpack just a bit if we can, because as a white liberal man uh, talking about white power, uh, I would imagine is uncomfortable for other white people to see because you're supposed to be in agreement. And you're at the very least you're supposed to be quiet about it so other people can enjoy their white power in peace and quiet. You can't be, you know, revealing the, the <laughs> secrets here, John. Do white liberals yeah. have an obligation to begin more forcefully and openly speaking about white power, white privilege, and, and the harm that it causes to our society as not even just a, a rallying cry to get out the votes, but just as a way of hoping to helpfully, uh, hopefully, hoping to hopefully, hoping to save this nation from the demons that are eating it out from the inside? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read a lot about how um, a lot actually rests on how the opinions of respectable white people uh, who would also include white liberals. I think, I think there's a problem that begins with the fact that a lot of white liberals don't recognize that they're white. Oh, right. And then they don't, you know, if they just not, if they just concede the point, you know, that, that, that this is it, right. We, you are who you are and you function in a society and other in these dynamics and it all starts to make much more sense. And then, and, and then you don't have to be afraid anymore. Wait, I, I don't, hold, hold on. I, I'm not white, so I'm yeah. confused. What do you mean concede? Wait, John, do you have to go? Do you have a heart out? No, no, go ahead. Okay, because I, 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 now, I, now I have questions. What do you mean concede sure. that you're white? Don't you know that you're white? I feel like knowing that I'm black is sort of a oh. part of my identity, of, well, of a strong part <laughs> of my identity. How is that? Is that not show up in white communities as well? Just knowing that you're white and being able to acknowledge that? Oh, no, I, I don't mean to explain. You're making me explain this to you. So, but I'm, we're doing it for reasons. Okay. So just, just everybody know that I'm not disrespecting Larry. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there's a kind of blindness, like I, do, I have no race, but you have a race. Right. And so huh. um, let's think of it, think of it in terms of like the novelist of the middle 20th century, where every character they write about isn't, you're, it's presumed to be a white person. And when there's not a white person, it's designated as not a white person, right? right? Um, and so we we still we meaning white people still have this, you know that. Uh, and there's a preference to just pretend like oh, I don't have a race, I don't see your race, but of course we do. And uh, this make believe creates all kinds of anxiety and fear, um, because honestly, people don't understand racism. Uh, white people, I should say, don't understand racism. It, it's they think it's simple when it's really super complex. Mm. Um, and um, and I, 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 I say this with sympathy. It's not like I, I just was born understanding this. I really had to work at it. Um, 
I used to think, I really used to think, you know, it's class, not race. You've yeah. probably heard that expression before. Yep. And um, I, I, I uh, that was a winning argument for me until I started, you know, learning more. And as you learn more, and if you're serious about it, you start to realize, no, this is super complex. And um, there are solutions uh, is if you just, first of all, recognize that you have a race, your, your race has um, a history. Mm. It, society is built in such a way to give white people the very best advantages. And naturally, people who have the best advantages don't want to give up those advantages, or they're scared to because then they'd have to really compete. You know, and if you have to really compete, you might lose. And you don't want to risk that, right? And so, um, you know, that, that you know, what I I I made sound like these are easy solutions. They are so not easy solutions. It's so much easier just to go to brunch and think you're wow. a nice person. Um, and that you know, brunch is great. I love brunch. You love brunch. Everybody loves brunch. But um, if you're serious about your caring about other people and lifting up people who have disadvantages. Um, I, I, I am a religious person and, the, and the, if you believe in the inherent worth and dignity of all human beings and in the, in the, and in the interconnectedness of the universe, then it's incumbent on you to, to make the effort. Um, but as you know, asking people to work harder is not a winning political message. <laughs> <laughs> it won't get you many votes, but it will get you extra time on the Larry Daniel Favor Show. John Storr, who has been helping us to unpack um, what it means to be white. I'm kidding. Uh, I have to give my disclaimer that we do not want our guests to be the spokesperson for all white people, but you have been revealing some insight, John, that I think those of us who have never been white in this lifetime uh, are really benefiting from and learning from. And we know because our audience is so diverse uh, that we have a number of white folks in the audience for whom this is extraordinarily relevant as well. So I appreciate your your willingness to, to continue this conversation. Uh, but you were we were talking on the other side of it about of the break uh, about what it was that caused you to sort of enter this pathway because again you, you, we talked at the very beginning you're committing race suicide here uh, you said it's great to go to brunch but then what uh, talk with us a bit about your your evolution and and what it is that you would what advice you would give for your fellow whites uh, and how to think about these issues a bit more critically outside of the brunch and then what context <laughs> Well, first of all, let's not use the word race suicide because that's a fiction, right? Mm, so, um, okay. And yeah, no, it is. I mean, just because I I'm asked to share a, a seat at the table doesn't mean I lose a seat at the table. You know, wow. it just means I share it. Mm. Um, so, um, so I think I think um, <laughs> advice for white people. I think we should just like if you tell me, like if you tell me, um, Lurie, if you say, you know. If we, you know, we're in a relationship where you feel like you can be honest with me, and you say, um, "I didn't really like what you said. I thought, you know, I'm trusting that you would uh, want to know what I thought of that and how I felt about it, and, and and I wanted you to know, John. And what would be a reaction? So I I can choose my choices to trust you mm. that you the feelings you feel are real. Um, and respect that, or I can cast doubt on it right from the start. Mm. 
right? And I think, you know, when somebody tells you how they feel, it is not a debatable point. Wow. (laughs) You know, they could be wrong. You know, they could be like factually wrong or mis- something, I mean, misunderstanding. That's things, things like that happen all the time. But, you know, no, people know how they feel. So when they tell you how they feel, you should trust that. Um, and then, you know, and then there's intentions and outcomes. Like if I made you feel a certain way, um, damn, you know, I, I really did not want to make you feel that way. I, I, I feel bad for having done that. Mm. And that's a real feeling too. And I apologize. Um, the, there's a choice there too. Like, do I want to lean into how I didn't mean it? And so therefore I'm not guilty of having done it. Wow. Right. Or, you know, really you should just own it even if you didn't intend to. Um, and I think these are really, really, you know, that level, that kind of granular interpersonal level is, uh, so much of what we talk about when we talk about racism mm. and, um, and you know, for, for the record, I have never experienced this. <laughs> wow. And, I, and also, uh, uh, wow. it's the same thing with women. When women have these experiences, I have never. I'm a, I'm I'm a part of a large community on Twitter, and I and I see a lot of reactions by women to things that men say to them, and I, and I'm sh- I shouldn't be shocked, but I am shocked because mm. I don't have that experience. I right. it's really. A, an abstract my understanding is as abstract it's not emotion based or experiential hmm. so um anyway the yeah i think that's where it begins um and also if you say to me that you have this grievance and you're trusting me to hear this grievance i should not ask for proof hmm. right don't if i'm asking you for proof we're just not friends. <laughs> right. Right. That's you know exactly who I am and you know exactly how to interact with me in the future, right? Mm. You Lurie, I mean. Yes. You you know like never trust that guy again. Right. <laughs> but John, you isn't know? a part of being white demanding that there be a proof? It isn't part of being white uh believing that there is no such thing as racism and that other people are just lazy and haven't pulled themselves up the, by their bootstraps. If I'm conditioned to be white, but I don't even acknowledge that that is a race, part of my whiteness and my heritage is I'm always supposed to be comfortable. I, I'm always supposed to have the privilege of being unquestioningly sitting in a seat of power that I did not actually own. That's sort of part and parcel. That's that's the gift, John. That's what you're walking away from. How is it if I, a white person, uh, am, am not even acknowledging that I'm white, acknowledging that I have a race, but I've been conditioned to be comfortable sitting in this unearned seat of authority simply because I have the gun, going back to the topic of your article, how am, that that got, that has to create some cognitive dissonance on the in in the average typical white mind on which behalf you are not being asked to speak, but on your own experience. Uh, how how does that how do those two things get reconciled? They often don't. They can't coexist. Mm. I mean, there's and there lies the problem, right? Mm. I mean, you're really kind of asking people to kind of go insane in the, from their point of view you're you're asking wow. them to turn their their understanding of the world upside down backwards and prolapsed and um i mean that's, then that's the that's the thing about white power i think is that it does turn reality upside down backwards and prolapsed 
it is itself upside down, backwards and prolapsed. And so when you're trying to get people to see reality clearly, you're, you're asking them to um, unlearn decades, perhaps, of mm. learning. Mm. And sometimes that's just not possible. That's why, it's, that's why education is so important, because, you know, you reach the kids early and to provide models for them of uh, model citizen behavior in a, mm. in a Republican democracy, small r Republican democracy. And um, so going back to proof um, that if you understand American history and the role of white power, notice I'm not saying racism, I'm mm. saying white power. If you understand Why? that, Why are you doing you understand that? that there's no proof needed why, why do you make that because choice racism, to say white power uh, and not I, racism? Oh, sure. I'm, I believe you should definitely talk about who is doing what to whom. Mm. And if you're talking about racism, you're actually not talking about who is doing what to whom. Damn. Um, I, I see your eyes going. <laughs> you are doing what we in the culture say, John, <laughs> dropping bombs. Uh, so this is, oh, okay. you know, this is an amazing, mm. this is sort of, um, in some ways, I don't want to say validation, but you are really, I think, helping to clarify a lot of the mist that exists for those of us who do not have a white experience, even though we, we kind of intellectually know these things. But I think hearing them come out of your voice uh, really is helping to just make it plain. So we using the phrase white power and not racism really is helping us to hone in on who is doing what to whom, who has the power dynamic, whereas racism feels a bit more yeah. amorphous and can just sort of exist without anyone actually having a blame. And then in that in that in that muddledness muddledness is is opportunity for more anxiety and fragility. I, that's mm. you know I, if things aren't clear and racism is not easy to understand, as I said. Uh, and so if it's not unclear, if you're kind of not really interested, or if you're worried about doing the wrong thing, well, it, when you just recognize your race and who's doing what to whom, actually that that, that clarifies a lot of things. Wow. And you can start making reasonable, rational decisions about what's good and what's bad. And, uh, and then therefore that might translate to how you, what you decide to do uh, during an election. Mm. Um, the, when, the, 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 the colorblind uh, theory, uh, how you know, equal, equal treatment before the law is grounded in colorblindness. There's a, a long complicated history to that that I don't, I don't pretend to know all of it, but um, there's upsides to being colorblind, and then there's a lot of downside to being colorblind. I think um, the the path of least resistance for most white people is just to say, "I don't see color," right? And therefore, you should not either. Um, and uh, aren't I a nice person for saying that? You know, um, white liberalism is often um, a system of manners and etiquette mm. more than it is morality um and so if you can see that if you can see like well i mean manners and etiquette matter and right so i don't want to undermine people being polite to each other but that is uh, not the same as morality mm. um let's not confuse them yeah um and, then be, and if we have point. a conversation about these things as they as they are then you can have more awareness and therefore make better choices John Storr, uh, I was saying to you during the break that uh, Thanksgiving at your house must be difficult because, you know, we, we 
think about Thanksgiving as a place where we have these political conversations. You know, it's the first time family have seen each other in a while. And, and you had a really powerful response to that. Um, I, I just want to say I am really grateful for the work that you are putting out and your willingness to have this conversation. I think we need more mm-hmm. people following this type of model and this pathway. Uh, if there are folks out there, and not to turn you into the, the white people guru, uh, but if there are folks out there uh, who want to continue to follow your work, because, and again, y'all, I've, I've been on the, the Brothers page, and there's a lot of articles dealing with topics from this vantage point, so this is certainly not the only time you have stepped into this, uh, this particular arena. How can they follow you? How can they connect with you and, and continue to read your work, sure. get access to what you're putting out into the world? I've already asked my producer to ask you to come back next month so we can just you know, dispense with the formalities because this is a conversation that I think should be ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, but how can people cont- continue to connect with sure. you and get more insight into what you have going on? Oh, thank you for asking. It's editorialboard.com. It's very easy. And they can find me on Twitter by just following my name, John, John Store, uh, S-T-O-E-H-R. Uh, but just look for editorial board and, and, uh, and that, that'll probably show up. Editorialboard.com editorialboard.com you're doing god's work and i don't mean the work of white jesus i mean like the universe's work (laughs) john (laughs) star it's been a real pleasure having you here uh these are important conversations that we like to have on a regular basis so thank you for putting this content into the world thank you for being with us today uh, and your willingness to stick around a little longer just so we could dive a little bit deeper uh into some of your thoughts on this topic it's been a real pleasure thank you it has been a real pleasure thank you Listen, y'all, I'm 866-801-8255. 866-801-TALK is the number. Uh, what do you think of this? This is a conversation that I think needs to continue. We have a lot of amazing folks in our community from a very diverse perspectives, uh, and we often do not get to hear uh, from brothers and sisters in the community <laughs> who have a different approach, who benefit from the reality that we currently exist in. Uh, and so, it, it, you know, I'm I'm always fascinated when we have folks who are willing to basically, you know, like I said, commit class suicide or race suicide. Uh, And that point, talking about white power and not racism, oh, that hit me hard. That hit me hard. Are you a white listener? who was struck by something John Storr had to say. I know my black listeners were because y'all done tweeted me, you added me, I done getting emails, I'm getting a whole lot of things. I'm even getting some texts from my sister friends uh, who are also listening. Um, What does this mean for you? If you are someone who is white, are you aware of the fact that you are white? Uh, Do you identify as having a white race? Is that a part of your experience in this world? Uh, And if not, how do you, one, how does it feel listening to Urban View? <laughs> like how I, I'm fascinated by this. Uh, and I don't, again, no one has to call up and be the spokesperson for all white people. Uh, but the reality is this, is this is an important conversation because we really, it, it's hard for us to imagine going forward if we, people who are being oppressed are saying, listen, white power is a problem. Notice how I stopped saying racism just in that instance. <laughs> white power is a problem uh, because now by saying white power, as John Storrs said, uh, we are able to know who is doing what to whom, who has which position of power in the harm that's being perpetuated. That's a big freaking deal. 866-801-8255, 866-801-TALK. How did this land for you, white friends and allies? have a good friend who calls her white allies the righteous whiteous. <laughs> like, how did this land for you? 
Do you agree with what John Storer had to say? Was he wrong? Is, is there another perspective of whiteness that we need to consider? I think this is a question that we must ask ourselves. I've seen a number of you uh, who clearly were, were touched by what John had to say. Uh, we've got one listener online who says, uh, we need what John said in a loop. Uh, quote, just because I share a seat at the table doesn't mean I lose anything. Particularly, thank you for that. Uh, that came from Norvell. Uh, particularly when the table is, is being supplied in abundance. Right. We've got tables in abundance. We at least I believe anyway, I don't believe in a scarcity model of living. I believe that we have more than enough in this universe. And if we've got more than enough in the universe, you reaching over and scooting over at the table so that someone else can get a seat. How does that harm you? Right. Like, does it harm you? I don't know that it does. And if you think that it does, what does that say about you? What does it mean when that's the, the reality we're living in, where you can be white and benefit from whiteness, but don't actually, uh, don't actually acknowledge that, don't actually even realize that? That's, those are the questions I've got. What does that mean? I am perplexed. I am not white, but I need to know. I need to understand. Is this a real thing? I don't know. I, I'm fascinated by this. And John Storr is someone who, and you guys may recall when Nicole Hannah-Jones uh, when Nicole Hannah-Jones was uh, going through what she went through at the university uh, that refused to offer her tenure and wanted her to just sign on to a five-year temp contract. <laughs> she was supposed to take her Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, journals all over the place, uh, award-winning journalist self and just do a, a you know, a, a, a temp job. Uh, John Storer was one of the folks who broke that story. So he is not new to this. He is actually engaged in this in substantive ways. Uh, let's get one of your voices on the line. Ed from Arizona. Thank you for calling Ed. What would you like to say this morning? Hi. Well, first, I, I'd like to thank John for pointing out the, the fact that yeah, white power is what we're all fighting against, for sure. Mm. Um, and thank you. But also, I, I grew up in Southern California in the 60s, early 60s, and uh, I, I guess I have felt I was white, and I, you know, it's being having having that shown back at you 40 years later, saying that well, maybe uh, you know, did I treat anybody differently, thinking that I had privilege? I don't, and I grew up poor, you know, I I fought, I thought I was treated like anybody else who was poor mm. and wealthy people were treated the same way, white or black, I guess. And yeah, cause I grew up in Los Angeles. So, mm. um, yeah, I guess my, my point is feeling guilty about being white. Maybe. Um, I also have felt that in my career, uh, I'm in the architectural design business. I've always said that if, if I was, um, a black man, I would never have had the opportunities that were given me because I, wow. I didn't even graduate high school. I barely went to college and I've had great opportunities come up. I'm an extremely hard worker, but that doesn't mean, you know, anybody else in the, of, of color who has the same work discipline and opportunities, I believe may not have been as successful as I. Mm. And I think that's a reality I've been living with for decades. And I don't know what wow. to do about it. Honestly, I don't know what I can do. I don't, I hear this term white liberalism and, uh, or whatever. It's like, okay, if I, if I say something or do something, I'm, I'm, I'm that person. 
Mm. I don't like that. I mean, I want to treat everybody with equality, give everybody an opportunity. If, you know, you know, of course, regardless of their, of their, uh, you know, this color of their skin. Sure, sure. But I, I, and, and maybe we do focus on that too much. I don't, I don't know what the right answers are. And I think there's a lot of people like me who, who feel this way. And, and John, when he said, you know, let's get that word right. It's white power, not racism. I see it every day. Wow. It's just disturbing. I, Ed, I, mean, I appreciate that. I appreciate you calling in and your honesty. And I appreciate the fact that I am disquieted uh, because I don't I don't have an answer. <laughs> like, I don't have a solution for what this means. But uh, I you know, if you've listened to the show at any point before, you know that I don't mind sitting in the uncomfortable spaces. I think that's where we should. But I appreciate that you're wrestling with this and that it's something that at least you are aware of. And I wonder if more white people uh, were similarly wrestling with it and were naming things things white power and, and able to identify as being white. Uh, I wonder if that would in and of itself help to move the needle. Do you see other white people in your community a- able to make those sorts of acknowledgements or is this something that you're, you're sort of struggling with in, in isolation? Well, I've, I live in a, in a, we, we moved to Arizona 15 years ago to fix our family and it was a great move, but we moved from the Bay area to a very, um, conservative blue collar community Hmm. and all my neighbors are Republicans and pandemic really made some serious separations Hmm. um, for sure. But yeah, I I don't see it in my direct community, but in my, um, in my group of friends and people that I, I, I love and deal with. uh, Yes, we, we see it. And at my daughter, who's 24, she's very, aware of everything and I don't even think she knows what to do sometimes. And it's, Mm. it's, um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's some people out there, but I also see, I work at a company that's owned by, you know, um, white privileged people, honestly, Mm. it's a design firm. Yeah. And you know, you see things and, um, I don't know what the answers are either, but yes, I do believe there's a lot of people out there, maybe not so much in Arizona, but there are a lot of people out there who are conflicted at some level, especially with what we're seeing right now in politics and the lie and and that, that divisiveness. We, I feel helpless and I cannot imagine how it would feel for a person of color. Mm. I cannot imagine any of that. And, you know, I, I, f- I fear for our democracy, of course. Wow. Anyway, I'm sorry. Maybe I said maybe I spoke too much today. No, you did. <laughs> if you'd have spoke too much, trust and believe, I would have told you. You did great. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm really grateful to you right now because, again, you're helping to further this conversation in a way that I think is important, not just for our white listeners, but for our listeners of color to understand what is happening in uh, white conversations and white communities. Because literally, I'm one of them folks who believes uh, fusion politics is going to be the only thing that can save this country. Uh, so I appreciate you and thank you for that stay in that uncomfortable space uh and and let's see what comes up because i believe that your daughter and my kids will be a part of the generation that can help to create some of these solutions let's get one more of your voices on the line randolph in california says that you are also white and you agree talk to us randolph what do you have to say yes a longtime listener or reader of john's store even Mm -hmm. longer i started with you when you began last year after ida rodriguez and laura coates yeah. Y'all have been an education for me, 
and I completely agree with the previous caller. Um, and right now I'm working with a young black man who has been doing a lot of reparation work in Oregon. He mm. has memorialized the only black man that was lynched in Oregon in 1902. And now our community is working with him to investigate our history as a sundown town. Wow. A lot of towns in our area were sundown towns. So yeah. it's been completely whitewashed from our history. And there's a small group of us in Oregon, in our city, which is typically Oregonish. It's all white. <laughs> so uh, thankfully, we're getting an influx of a diverse population because of our uh, more liberal big city that's next to us, uh, Medford mm. and Ashland. But, yeah, I just want to say that you are a breath of fresh air just like John Store is. And I would encourage all the other white listeners to read him. He is an education, and whatever discomfort you feel, it's a good thing to go through because mm. that whole discomfort, that discomfort thing is a clue. Aha! Mm. <laughs> yes, indeed. Get into that. Yes, indeed. Uh, Randolph, I appreciate you. Thank you for being a longtime listener. Uh, John Storr is someone I'm reading with fascination, and this article sort of set me on a, a journey on his site, uh, and it has been instructive indeed. So thank you so much for that. Mm. 